Hey everybody, welcome back to the Grey Malkin Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics in continuity order. Uh, it is the end of October as we are releasing this. Uh, October 30th, we have had an incredible, emotionally jarring journey exploring everything there is to explore about the early days of Magneto on this show, uh, from his days in Auschwitz all the way to the formation of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And we are winding uh, this up with uh, uh, Dad Nito. <laughs> We're going to talk about Dad Nito today a little bit uh, as we review a story from Marvel Voices Pride set in the X-Men's early years, uh, written by the incredible Anthony Oliveira. I'm so happy to have Anthony on the show with me today, uh, as well well, me, hello, Eric hi. From Rage Gear <laughs> Studios, uh, I'm. It's, what a what a joy. I was just saying. Normally, I have to welcome like a new guest, and today I'm just kind of chilling with my friends, which is such a lovely. Feeling. These guys, this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can uh, I can wear my PJs instead of my tux, you know. <laughs> I changed uh, into my PJs right before this. Actually. I literally <laughs> am wearing sweatpants right now. It's a good feeling. <laughs> uh, we're recording this in early October. This will be released on October 30th. Uh, Whoa, Devil's Night. We're gonna kind of vibe today. It's gonna be a great time. Uh, so let me welcome each of my guests. Uh, let me have you each introduce yourselves. Let us know where we might know you from and what your gender pronouns are. Uh, the question for today, capturing a closeted teenage Bobby, as we'll be talking about a lot. Uh, do you have a story, perhaps from high school, where you had an unrequited crush while you were in the closet and it was still unsafe to even express that you had a crush on someone? Uh, let's begin with uh, Anthony Elvira. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that pun was funny in my brain. Anthony Oliveira, hello, my friend. I was like, you. is there another Anthony here? No, I don't <laughs> think so. That's me. Uh, hi, I'm Anthony Oliveira, PhD culture critic, dumpster raccoon. Uh, you probably know me from my many appearances on this podcast. Uh, you may have read some comics I've written. By the time this comes out, I'll have dropped the Captain Marvel issue I wrote. So that might still be on your stands. Although hopefully it's gone. You're out of luck. Sorry. Uh, um, I'm a comic book writer. I program films out here in Toronto. Uh, I wrote a book about my entire high school a queer crush experience, which is coming out soon, called Day Spring. Um, so, if you want <laughs> a longer version of this, yeah, check that out. But I, um, I had an experience quite like Bobby's uh, in this story. Not surprisingly, I went to an all boys Catholic school that was also a farm school for the NHL. So I spent my days surrounded by incredibly hot straight guys. Uh, in uniforms, uh, in a full school-sized locker room, basically. So, <laughs> so this is an experience I know quite a lot about, actually. Uh, do you have a specific story you want to share, or is that... Oh, <laughs> so many. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm tempted to start dropping names. Uh, no, I, I think that... Uh, Again, the full version of this is in the book, but I definitely went through phases. The the coming out experience, too, to me, I also came out to what many might consider an ideological opponent. The first person I came out to was a priest in a confessional booth. So and some <laughs> and a lot of that ended up in the story here, too. Uh, so 
No, I don't know if I read the yeah, book no, no, is my okay. suggestion. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to read Dayspring when it comes out. Uh, let's go over to my friend Eric next. Hi, Eric. Hey, how's it going? So good. <laughs> I'm Eric. I'm one half of Rage Gear Studios. Um, I use he, him pronouns. And um, I was a, pretty much an introvert um, all through like high school. I guess it wasn't until college that I... Uh, I did start, start having crushes, um, but um, I'm trying to think of like a specific one. I don't know. I feel like I crush on everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have a crush on every boy. <laughs> That's but being girl for shy. My my thing was that I would I I I couldn't even like do eye contact or something like that. You know, I would like try to hide or something. But um, yeah, I don't I don't have a specific guy that i was like oh he's so all of them just all of them Everybody. for those of you for those of you that are unfamiliar go look up teen girl squad on youtube after this where <laughs> it's an old homestar runner cartoon uh the girl to say I, i'm in love with every boy <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, <laughs> yeah that, that, that was me i remember that homestar runner wow Good stuff, man. <laughs> i'm also thrilled to welcome ray to the show you may know ray as the other half of the rage gear studios or as the voice of gossamer uh hello ray. How are you? <laughs> that's right oh my gosh stop it so <laughs> i'm ray arzeno he him and yeah i have a high i had a high school unrequited affair in my head it was <laughs> that's still going on today because we're Kind of like friends. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like, it starts in high school, and it's just you know side eyeing. It's just like checking things out peripherally, not never ever looking. But there was one instance where I swore he caught me. He was his name is Rod. Hey Rod, <laughs> shout out to Rod. Rod. No, that's his name. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but well, he was doing this thing so where he's leaning, you know, where you lean on the chairs and the two front legs are up and you just like, you can fall if you keep leaning back and they always tell you not to do it in school. So it was one of those situations and he, he's leaning back and I'm just like looking at the bulge. I'm just checking it Whoa. out. Like, now he's like, he's leaning back, his legs is open. It was just like a moment right in my head. And then he's like, hey, hey, like he, like he noticed I was looking and all I said was like, uh, uh, you're going to fall, stop. And then <laughs> and, and they kind of left it at that i don't i don't know so, so somehow even though i don't really talk to anyone from school anymore just him <laughs> just him somehow that's we've rough in contact man. through through uh myspace and facebook MySpace and oh, okay. instagram because <laughs> he's, he's an art he's, he's an artist too and he's just you know, I get mad. What's, sometimes what's his at? Like, I want to see. I got. I'll, I will share it. But because uh, he just got, oh my god, he just show got notes. better with time. He just, he just like keeps getting better with time. Like I just like this. Like fine wine. Oh my god. Um, and uh, so we like we share memes all the time, and we always talk back and forth. And we've talked about not that particular moment, but other things that have happened. And well, I was like, now we'll find out. I actually yeah. told him that I was going to be talking about him today. Whoa. So, well, <laughs> if your name is Rod, <laughs> at me, Rod. <laughs> uh, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. Now, I grew up, so I knew I was different from other kids at like 
five. Like I remember having a crush on a kid as early as kindergarten, but that's very different than like sexual awakening, right? I also grew up Mormon. And so I like grew up hating the gay part of me, but also like, uh, like, I, I don't know. There's the, there's the, there's the part we have to unpack later. Like, so I remember being like uh, in gym class in like the locker room and I'd find like the isolated corner in the back so that I could like change where no one could see me. Cause I was very pious as a, like a little Mormon kid, but I'd also be like totally checking out like the hot wrestlers like, on the other side mm -hmm. of the, the locker room. Mm -hmm. I would never shower with the group cause I was so worried about being exposed, but also like I'd certainly walk by a few times, you know, like you, you go back and like reconcile these different parts of you mm -hmm. uh, we're going to be talking about closetedness a little bit today as we delve into today's story and i'm going to start backwards i'm going to introduce the issue first uh this is part of marvel voices pride anthology which is a book that's come out the last three years it's a collection of stories by primarily queer artists and writers uh, that explore various queer characters across Marvel's kind of lexicon of history. Uh, there's a lot of really great things. Uh, this is Marvel Voices Pride number one. It's from June 2021. Uh, Anthony has the story uh, called Early Thaw. It is the ninth story <laughs> in this particular Pride <laughs> anthology, but it might be my favorite, even though there's a few others I really love. I love Terry Blass's story. I love Luciano Vecchio's story and on and on. It's, uh, all of these are really great. Uh, the artist in this is uh, Javier Garon, uh, David Curiel on colors, my friend Ariana Mar on letters, and Sarah Brunson. Killing it on letters. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, God, Ariana's the best in the business. I adore her. Uh, Anthony, to begin, I would love to hear, and I know we explored this briefly in your very first appearance on my show, but tell me the origin of this particular story. If ah, um, I was approached by... Sarah Brunstadt, the editor about this collection. Um, and putting together an anthology like this is kind of tricky because you, you don't just have to choose your writers, but you have to figure out who they're going to write about. So the first version of what I pitched was like a short list of like, if you gave me this character, here's the kind of story I would tell. And if you gave me this character, here's the kind of story I would tell. Um, and my top two were this one um and the story basically a version of the story that ended up being the fifth issue of my paradox lost story for uh the young avengers with uh tommy shepherd um so i have actually done both of the stories that were supposed to be in that that one is if you haven't read it even sadder than this one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I knew that the Iceman story I wanted to tell was retrospective. Um, the, the weird thing I've watched happen is I spent my entire young adulthood knowing Iceman was gay and waiting for him to come out and watching him get right to the moment where he's about to come out to a character. Uh, and then he chickens out just as editorial chickens out basically so like gene in the barnes and noble emma on top of that building after she's been in his mind etc cetera, etc cetera. so my initial pitch for this was like what if we kept visiting all those moments again and then juxtaposing them to some present day parallels um so i picked a lot of them and the earliest one i pointed at was the one that is the beginning of this story, the moment in X-Men 11, I think. Uh, I would have to check all my notes for the exact issue, but it's it, the, the first three panels of this are Stanley and Jack Kirby panels 
redrawn by Javier and amazingly recreating the lettering by Ariana. Like it's just a trace of those panels. And my idea was, as I was writing, I then decided, well, what if instead the camera, Stan Lee's camera goes right and our camera goes left. And we kind of see the rest of Bobby's day slash week after having this conversation with Warren, where Warren is like, we can never come out. Um, because what horrifies me about Xavier's school and horrifies me to this day is like he takes five bright young minds and is like runs a boot camp on how to closet yourself, like strap down your wings, hide your feet, put on these sunglasses, right? Like, and then of course the the biggest narrative of this is what happens to Jean Grey, right? Like the Phoenix is kind of the expression of what happens when you live under a repressive cloud like Charles Xavier. Um, so I just wanted to follow that story and I wanted to see, I wanted Bobby to be able to express the emotions that he didn't get to express for the first 40 years of his publication history. Um, so that was where this story came from. Uh, fantastic. I want to start with, we've explored this on my show before, so I'll just put this into context very quickly. Early writers did not intend for Iceman to be gay. And it's <laughs> hilarious to me because they wrote him as kind of the leave it to Beaver, youngest member of the team who's kind of joking around and not into girls. Even really apparent moments like the uh, <laughs> like the J.M. DeMatteis Iceman limited series where he's so gay. J.M. didn't mean for him to be gay in that, even as he's lusting <laughs> after Hercules and like so closeted and just wants to fit in. Uh, it's it, But there's a certain point along the way where writers were in on the joke and they weren't allowed to say he was gay out loud, but they started openly showing it. And Anthony just referenced some of those messages uh, that were subtext. Uh, when, for each of you, was it apparent that Iceman was gay when you were reading the comics? Uh, do you have a key moment along the way? Uh, Anthony, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I wasn't, I didn't read the Iceman miniseries when I was a kid. I only read it re retrospectively. And in retrospect, it's like, this is a 1985 story about a gay man in 1985 <laughs> with his parents. <laughs> but um, the moment I knew, and the first writer I think who was writing him as a closeted queer man is the Scott Lobdell story. It's the like C plot in a comic where they're dealing with the X babies. <laughs> but the moment I was like, even I knew as a kid is when he's standing in a Barnes and Noble with Jean Grey. Um, and it's, um, he's wearing these purple pants <laughs> and he's filing a book and he's trying to tell her something. And she, and he keeps saying like, why are you forcing me to say it out loud? And she's like, I'm not just going to read your mind, which is very funny in retrospect how he ended up coming out. But um, so he's trying to come out to her and then they stumble upon the ex-babies and they never finish that conversation. And even as a kid in an all boys Catholic school, I was like, I know what he was going to say. Um, so that was the moment to me. Uh, Eric. I, that exact moment. <laughs> I, mean, I, I probably was 14. I, I kind of was just getting, I think this was, uh, yeah, with the ex-babies and all that. But I remember that scene so vividly in my brain that I was like, are they trying to say, is he trying to come out? And I, I kind of did a double take. Like, I kept rereading that scene and I'm like, wow, it seems like he's trying to come out. And I, as a kid, you know, I'm like questioning that same thing myself and, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm so I was so into the X-Men were because, you know, they're feared, they're not accepted and all these things. And it all 
accumulates into like all these different things, these different aspects of, you know, being an immigrant, first generation kid, not fitting in with my classmates or, but on top of that, I was like dealing with my sexuality. And um, I remember that scene. And then Anthony, you also mentioned um, like when Emma goes into his, his brain, he, right. so Iceman had his chest or like stomach shattered and he was so afraid to turn back um, to his human form. Um, and just that whole conversation with, with Emma Frost. And I think all she said something like, about uh, him. All about like unrealized potential. Yeah. 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 And, and him being an interior decorator or something like that. Right. There, yeah. there was something yeah. there that <laughs> I was like, a, oh, She makes a pretty gay joke, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third thing was, um, him and Rogue, like, his yeah. rogue had run away. She kissed Gambit and she couldn't deal with it. And Bobby was the one that found her and they went on this fun adventure. And it just felt like a very like, oh, it's like the gay best friend with um, you know, his friend, like they're just and he takes her. her home to his to meet his awful parents. And she's like, yeah. These people are the most disgusting humans I've ever met. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but those were the three things, right? I, I guess when he finally did come out, it I it just brought me back to those moments and I'm like oh wow like did they really mean for him to be gay since then type of thing but uh Ray how about you do you have one that stood out uh, well so the the whole the conditioning that there's no such thing as gay characters in comics was so like embedded mm, that the, yes, the gene same. moment the gene moment didn't happen like I, I I read that and it never occurred to me and it wasn't until the Emma situation because she was so much more uh catty about it i don't know the way she just the way she just approached it she was like you you're such a basic bitch and i was just like wait a minute (laughs) (laughs) and then the the rogue thing like that sealed the deal because like rogue is marvel's like staple ally like she had right what star moment (laughs) she had him like if, if you're a gay character, Rogue is your buddy. Like she's gonna yeah. go on that road trip with you. She had you're... lesbian moms. She's not gonna yeah, mess around. She's been marching she in really... pride parades since she was a toddler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> she knows, true. She always she knows how to approach those people, and she knew how to deal with Bobby's father and like all the things that like a gay kid probably couldn't do or was too afraid to defend himself. And anyway, that you couldn't do it. Like Rogue was there to do that, and that was that's when it started clicking for me. I was like, oh wow, like that's. You could. It was in so many dimensions at that point that there was like no denying it at all. Mm-hmm. So to talk about what a product of my upbringing I was at the time, I'm going to share a quick story. I'm a Mormon missionary in a former life. You know, like those guys in the Book of Mormon musical who fucking ring your doorbell and try to convert you to Jesus, right? And I firmly believed through indoctrination that like positive service would like cure my gay, which I believed was like this curse that had been given to me, right? I, I knew I was gay. I knew I was very attracted to men and not women, but... Uh, there was a man that we taught when I was a missionary in Philadelphia who was very clearly gay. Uh, and frankly, I think he only let us in the door the first time when we knocked because he thought we were kind of cute. He had shirtless <laughs> pictures all over the walls. And I firmly believe that by like teaching and baptizing this man, we would be able to f- cure him, which is such a fucked up thing now that I look back at it as an adult, right? So when I go back, I was reading comics actively as a teen and hosting this show, I go back and I read all these early stories like Bobby dating Opal Tanaka or like the Richter Richter Shatterstar relationship in X-Force. It's so clearly apparent that they were being written as queer, even Mystique and Destiny, but it entirely evaded me as a kid. Uh 
The first time it really stood out to me that Bobby was gay, I came out in 2011, and this is a story from 2013, when Marjorie Liu did the story about Bobby getting the death seed, and he's, like, freezing the world over because of his repression and, like, his inability to confront himself. (laughs) That's the one where it really stood out to me. Uh, So, Anthony, reading your story, which we're going to get into shortly, and showing this, like, very soft, like, uh, side of Bobby that he's keeping himself so tightly wound is such a brilliant exploration into this character because it matches all of the years of unintentional repressed uh, nature that he had following. I'm going to introduce a quote really quickly and then let's talk about this in conjunction with Iceman, but in conjunction with ourselves is also fine for those who may see fit to share. There's a quote that trended really hard on Twitter in, I think, 2020 by a guy. I don't even know who this guy Alexander is. Alexander Leon. Alexander Leon. Yes, we know this quote. It like went everywhere. Yeah. Uh, The quote is, queer people don't grow up as ourselves. We grow up playing a version of ourselves that sacrifices authenticity to minimize humiliation and prejudice. The massive task of our adult lives is to unpick which parts of ourselves are truly us and which parts we've created to protect us. Uh, Not only is that reconciling within ourselves, but also reconciling within a queer culture that we have been in hatred of our entire lives because we've been taught to hate and fear it, much like the mutants have, right? So when you find yourself as part of this world, a big part of unpacking that is is like a, a huge cultural identity piece. And we're now seeing Bobby as written by Steve Orlando or Jerry Duggan, like fully formed and, you know, in love with himself, uh, Luciano Vecchio's version of him. Uh, it's it's a really interesting thing, but he's still trying to reconcile with his vulnerable side, which is a huge piece of his storytelling. Uh, let me hear some of your thoughts on Iceman's character in conjunction with this idea of reconciling these two pieces of his nature. Uh, Anthony, do you have thoughts here? I would love to hear. Oh, uh, I mean, <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I that quote. I, I, I when I was an academic, I actually studied at Cornell for a summer um, school of criticism and theory. And one of the scholars I worked with there was Catherine Bond Stockton. Um, and Stockton has this. Uh, her big contribution to queer theory is the idea of the ghostly gay child that. Um, that you encounter queer people's experience very often um, is that you retroactively come to understand your childhood, that it is something you encounter in the rearview mirror of like, oh, that's what that moment meant. That's who I was. Like, it's the sort of double consciousness you were just talking about, Chad, of like, you're not allowed to think certain things, so you only get to reconcile them later. and I think about that a lot. It is my experience. I've written the bulk of my Marvel work has been working on Wiccan and Hulkling, who by design get to be kind of the fantasy of like, you met your first love, you fell in love, you got to have the happy ending. And um, that's great to work on. I love to work on that. I know how meaningful that is to so many people when they read it. Um, I know how much it means to me who didn't get to have that kind of life, but the kind of life I had was Bobby's. Um And uh, I think it's important. I used to think that as an artist that I was irrelevant because I grew up with these traumas and a lot of my childhood felt like when I wrote about it, it's like, look at these scars, kids. Like, do kids still have, (laughs) do kids still have queer childhoods like this? And unfortunately we've looped back around and now those kids are in a state of trauma once again. Um, and I think that seeing versions of Bobby's childhood are very real. Um, and at the same time with the story, I wanted to create the narrative 
to sort of just let people now imagine like this is how he felt at those earliest moments and now you can fill in the gaps what was it like for the next 40 years of history when he was you can now believe that the camera just wasn't looking rather than like the horrible narrative I see online all the time of like Jean turned him gay, right? Like that's the thing conservatives love to say. She like Which I say him. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Bad reading, but like I wanted to make sure, like I wanted to plant the flag at the earliest possible moment I could. Um, and I think about that idea of like the traumatized queer child a lot because I was one and I I know a lot of us were. So I want to see that reflected in art as much as possible. Uh, Eric and Ray, any comments on this? The intersectionality. Because, I mean, that's part of the fear here. Like, on top, it's not just that he's gay. He's got, it's just, he's a mutant, too. Like, he's got these things that are just weighing down on him. And one seems so much more important than the other I, in, in this way. Like, one of them is his own struggle, and the other one is the circle of his people. You know, what comes first, and what does he prioritize, and what where does his attention go, and what, which one does he overtly fight? And it's just... You did a great job with that. I really, oh, that, that first you. page was phenomenal. And just like the way it goes dark on that last panel. And it's just like, it's, it's, you did a great job. And the writer, oh, you. you laid it out for the artist. Like it was really great. We're going to get to Magneto in a minute, but I want to point out one <laughs> more major thing about Bobby really quickly. Uh, and, and again, Anthony, I think there's a lot of really brilliant moments uh, in the work that you and Javier did. Uh, we are taught to hate the queer pieces of us which then means we hate other queer people or queerness in others, right? Uh, we get called faggot on the playground. We get bullied. You, you're throw like a girl, you know, all of this stuff. When my little sister came out and I was in my early 20s, I was part of the family that was really rough on her. Uh, and now she's one of my dearest friends. But I, I was taught it was fixable, like coming out was selfish, right? Uh, so we have this kind of mask-seeking mask kind of energy where we mm. are taught to emulate like the very straight, pretty, like put-together men. And I think we carry that with us even after we come out sometimes in what we tend to be attracted to. The idea that Bobby is in love with Angel uh, <laughs> as a teen is really interesting because he's the white, quiet playboy who's very, very attractive, obviously. But Angel also has kind of a sincere side. He's kind to Bobby as he's strapping down his wings and hiding in public and covering up his own vulnerabilities with this kind of playboy attitude. Uh, he's not in love with Scott. He's not in love with Beast. It's Angel, which is fascinating. <laughs> so, so the thing is, like, Angel makes it so easy because who else is with him? <laughs> well, I mean, he's got Beast, who is this, you know, seclusive. He's like in his books. He's doing his work. He's like very serious. Then you have Scott, who's got to stick up his butt. And... Then this angel who's flaunting himself all the time. Like, he's just like, he is so, when he's around them and in the space with the X-Men, like, he, that's when he's at his, like, proudest and more, most free. So he's, like, in the Speedo. Like, he's doing all this, but, you know, right. Scott, Scott and Hank aren't going to do that. I think that there's also something to what you're saying, Chad, about, like, like, I think it's very interesting that you open with a question about, like, unrequited crushes. I do think that um, very often our crushes are purposely not by design because it's not ever by design, but like we very often go for the single most unattainable person. <laughs> like, you know, the queer crush is always like the jock, you know, it's never the guy who might actually be gay. <laughs> and I thought that that, I think that felt real. I mean, I inherited from Brian Michael Bendis in the moment when he comes out to Gene, he says that he, that Warren is so beautiful. Um, 
So I inherited that from that moment. But of course, it immediate all the locks click into place as soon as you think about that. Like Beast is his best friend. Scott is literally, how are you going to even talk to Scott? And Gene is the person it, he would, I actually wrote a full scripted version of this where it's, um, I, I forgot I did this. I was looking at my notes before this, um, where the person he talks to is not Magneto, it's it's Jean. She follows him from the swimming pool to the Ngere Cairn. Um, and they have no dialogue because they couldn't. Like, I couldn't have that conversation on page because, like, she can't have known or she can't acknowledge that she's always known, which I think is actually more correct. She knows, and even in the Barnes & Noble, what he's trying to say. She just has to wait for him to say it. And I think... I liked the idea of positioning her as in some ways having been waiting since they were 15 for him to be safe enough to feel like he can say it. Um, and I think it speaks to her failures as a friend, actually, that she never made him feel quite safe enough to get there. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think that it had to be Angel. Who else could it have been? <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the other interesting piece here, uh, and I've done a full hour or longer episode on every issue of the original Silver Age. In fact, Anthony was with me when we did our Silver Age kind of closeout episode with Jordan White. That was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, we talk in the very early episodes of my show about the parallel of Angel strapping down his wings, uh, keeping ourselves hidden in public, literally restraining ourselves so that we don't get exposed. And that's where we open today's issue. Uh, we're going to get into Magneto, everybody. I promise. I have a lot of things <laughs> to say. Uh, but we we open on page one, so beautifully drawn uh, by Javier, with Angel strapping down his wings. Bobby is helping him. It is a very intricate process. He's using binders to keep his wings very tightly connected to his shoulders, his legs, his back, so that when he puts his uh, suit on or his jacket on and gets ready to leave and go out in public, uh, he is able to carefully blend in. There's a really funny parallel in Ryan North's Unbeatable Squirrel Girl where she stuffs her tail in her pants and everybody just thinks she has a great <laughs> ass as a result. <laughs> I never uh, thought about that. It's not a, It's not part of the costume? Uh, the dialogue. No, it's an actual tail. <laughs> yeah, she's got a tail. I love I love Doreen Green, man. Uh, the dialogue here is uh, Bobby asking, you know, do you think this is necessary to wear this girdle? Do you think what what would happen if somebody actually found out about us? Uh, couldn't we be seen as normal? Do you think it would be really that bad if we told people if everyone knew? And uh, Warren's response is that that would end our whole school. It'd be the end for all of us. The world isn't ready. Uh, and we see him leaving with Gene as Bobby sits in his quiet room, uh, the lamp kind of lighting him on the bed as he's looking very sad and very heavy. Uh, the title then being given to us as the early thaw. Uh, let's start with page one. What are our thoughts about Warren's bindings uh, and Bobby's uh, looking so hard for a reason to be able to be authentic. Like, give me just a nugget isn't, of safety. Isn't it something how the binding means something else today? Like, yes, trans kids bind. Like, it's yeah, it's just it's so weird how things just is it is it for sight? Like, who knew? Like the way things are like relevant now that were written back then. It's it's, it's fantastic the way that worked in there. Yeah, Beach just Beach just had to wear big shoes, man. <laughs> 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 but it's okay for a guy to have big feet. <laughs> well, and this this is a, a common theme in the X-Men later, right? Nightcrawler has to use the image inducer to be able to go sit at the, the bar with friends. So, like, uh, so I mean, it's, it's a thing. Until he just gets sick of it. And like yeah, Xavier yeah. is like, where's your image inducer? And he's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I mean, I did want this story to be more than anything a critique of Charles Xavier. Like, I do think that I wanted. That's why it had to be Magneto, and it had to be a Magneto who's very immediately realizes what horrible things Xavier has done to these kids, right? Like, um, that that Warren could say these things and understand it to be. I mean, he's he's clearly mimicking Xavier here, right? Like, he's. He's just repeating. He's not aware of the second conversation that Bobby is having. He just thinks like, of course I have to strap down my wings. What else would I do? I have these giant ass wings. They kill me instantly, right? Um, he's very like blithely unaware of what they're actually talking about. You'll notice the colorist actually put in a reference to those purple pants in the Barnes and Noble. That <laughs> <Bobby> nice. <laughs> nice. <Yeah>. nice. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> um yeah, uh, really great art. Again, Ariana's lettering here is insane. To reproduce those weird, weirdly shaped bubbles from back in the day is so funny. And like to not have your eye notice that they change in panel four, right? Like that's that's real talent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Eric, do you want to talk to us about page two? Just uh, kind of walk through us uh, what happens on the page. Sure. Then uh, we cut off to a scene where the... The five X-Men are battling the Sentinels. Um, and there's another shot where Angel comes out of the swimming pool and all his glory and his Speedo. And Bobby off to the side just says, wow. But also with his little footsie, he's like freezing the water a little bit. Like he can't, he can't, have, he can't help but have like a physical reaction. So just a little, little, <laughs> a little freeze in the pool. <laughs> okay, so we got to pause here. Uh, and I want to hear your thoughts on the Sentinels, uh, Anthony, if you want to share why you chose to include that particular battle. But in 2010, there's an issue we've covered on my show, X-Men Origins Iceman Number 1, written by a queer author, Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa, uh, mm. where when Bobby is at his home with his parents and he's facing like all the pressure of like the stress of his family, he's out in the family pool and there's this gorgeous two-page spread where he freezes the entire pool in a moment of like uncontrolled like power outburst. And this of course takes me right back there because he freezes the pool again. I didn't know if that was part of your intention or not, but it's a beautiful symmetry for this character. I don't remember. I, I, the Sentinel panel is there. There are actually three in the original story. It was going to be like Sentinel panel, Juggernaut panel, and then there was something else. Um, like the good I, stories from the Silver Age. <laughs> yeah, I think that's literally what I was doing. Um, I did, I worked out the math of the exact like week that this has to happen in the comics, but I can't reclaim it anymore. <laughs> like my notes are incomprehensible. But I, I wanted just like a change of scene. I wanted it to be clear. Like people forget that Warren and Jean were kind of not quite dating, but he was taking her out at the time in the in the comics. Um, and I just he was, wanted that. He was putting his hands on her all the time in this. Yeah. Just touching and, her constantly. <laughs> and I did want this to be a little bit like, well, she's still deciding. She has not yet settled on. It's very early days. Um, and I just wanted to change the scene, have at least a bit of action. My stories are notorious for being action, <laughs> a, a little light on action. A lot of people being sad. So and then just having this again. And I, it was important to me that it be almost wordless because like, the wordlessness of Bobby's experience is the thing I wanted this to be about. So I just wanted, again, I wanted the camera to follow his eye for once. Like, what did he see in the 60s? What was his experience like? Because that's the moment, those are the things we never see from him. So I just wanted that. And that's why we have this poolside scene. 
Uh, he's also quickly freezing the pool because he's so hard. <laughs> he's like, if I freeze the pool, no one will notice my erection. <laughs> it's great that you have the Sentinel battle up on there because that's like one battle one, and then battle two is the rest of this page, <laughs> which is like his feelings, yeah, and his erection, and everything. I believe that I believe there. the strip, the script did. So you'll notice that the panel is not just a battle, but it's specifically. Angel blithely sailing through a battle while Bobby like frantically is protecting him. Like that was the idea uh, of the panel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, beautiful. Uh, Ray, do you want to tell us about page three? First of all, at the at the bottom of page two, we see Magneto like close up on his helmet, and here's a. Uh, I spent endless hours singing hymns in church, and one of the one of the like most famous Mormon songs is "How Firm a Foundation." So that's gonna be fucking in my head all night. <laughs> he goes, now we will see Xavier. How firm are your foundations when the wolf is at the door. Uh, Ray, tell us about page three. Magneto's coming in on the mansion. He's got three missiles with him, and he's just ready to he's ready to tear it up. But then he catches, he sees Bobby crying, and it stops him. And that's like that kind of takes me back because it's almost like he's put off because he sees his vulnerability because he was ready to be, I guess, on the offensive, and they're gonna protect themselves and they're gonna fight, and then oh, he's just this little boy in flip flops just crying to himself and he just stops and this he lets two missiles blow up and dismantles the third one and instead decides to have a talk with him and that's he says that's uh, the time has come at last charles to make you he sees bobby crying <laughs> understand and then bobby goes holy jeez <laughs> <laughs> the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Uh, the irony of uh, Magneto says, uh, despite your headmaster constantly flinging them at me, I have no wish to harm children. He's speaking of the missiles. Magneto is so horny for missiles in the 60s. Uh, it had to be missiles. What else could it be? It had to well, be. Missiles is how adults talk. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> and I would love to hear, and again, this is Magneto Month on my show. I would love to hear your interpretation of 1960s Magneto and how you have <sighs> this softness for him here. Because this is the ranting, raving, fist yes. at the sky Magneto who's like beating Toad up. He makes Toad wear a metal belt so he can toss him around the room more easily. <laughs> right. Setting off nuclear bombs and conquering countries. Talk about uh, this a is a shocking version of him. I I knew that going in. I I did know that. Like, I mean, I think it was. I, there was a critic who was like, "This is not '60s Magneto," um, and I'm aware that the story is vulnerable to that criticism. But I think you have to write the character as consistent. I do. I'm not a big fan of like, oh, he was crazy back then. Like, I think that we have to understand him as being more hardline in this moment. Um, but he has to still be the, the same character who sees who sees he almost hurt kitty pride and stops um i think he has to be that person and i think that that's always going to be the thing that he will stop him dead in his tracks as a child imperiled right like unlike charles xavier who's very happy to throw children <laughs> into battle charles xavier is vulnerable to in or magneto is vulnerable to innocence threatened um 
there's a scene in one of my favorite movies in Bruges. Um, have you guys seen in Bruges at all? No. It's so no. good. It's Colin Farrell. Um, Colin Farrell is it's now uh, on my list. It's so good. It, I went to Bruges just because of that movie. Um, it's in Belgium. Uh, <laughs> um, there's a scene in it where Colin Farrell has botched. He's a hitman who's botched his job. And he's like, his boss is like, go to Bruges till we sort this out. He like killed a kid by accident. Um, so he's suicidal in this town where there's nothing to do. And another hitman is dispatched to kill him because they got to clean up this mess. And he pulls a gun on him from behind while Colin Farrell's sitting on a park bench crying. And Colin Farrell in that moment pulls out his own gun to shoot himself unaware that there's a gun at the back of his head. And the hitman is like, whoa, dude, like you can't kill yourself. (laughs) I got to get paid. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm always very vulnerable to these narratives where a person is trying to hurt someone and realizes that person is already in way more pain than they're about to inflict on them and stops. It happens quite a bit in my stories. And this is one of them where like, he sees someone, there is a way that in the 60s, this is all just a game, right? He and Charles are playing a game that they're acting out physically what is ultimately a deeply personal ideological conflict. That's why there's the line about sometimes missiles are how adults talk, right? Like, it's it's a game of chess. The movie's developing that chess metaphor, I think, is very correct. Like, we're going to mess around, but ultimately, I'm never going to hurt the king, right? And I... I I think that that's why he stops in this moment. And I think it's consistent with his character, although I understand people who think it's not. But to me, this we are, is... We are recording this on October 2nd. Just today, I released my interview with J.M. DeMatteis about his new uh, uh, Magneto series, mm. in which he's talking about some of the complexities of Magneto. One of them is his very fatherly relationship with Wolvesbane during the New Mutants era uh, that he is exploring in his current series. He's also talking about uh, Magneto in this early days. One part of his motivation is to not only be the supervillain to scare the humans, but also to promote the X-Men as heroes. Because he, he, if he's the bad guy, they have to be the good guys. And he's showing the public what, uh, what public heroes can look like. The softness in him is there. Anthony, you just referenced the story where he backs down uh, for Kitty Pride. Right. Uh, Al Ewing has recently written Magneto as very fond of the character Peepers. Like, Peepers, I'm so happy <laughs> to see you. Uh, can you guys think of moments or characters that Magneto is uh, kind of uncharacteristically soft? Uh, uh, Leah Williams wrote him as Dad Nito in, like, The Trial of Magneto, right? Like, uh, his his connection to the Scarlet Witch, uh, very soft and, like, very sincere. Uh, is there anyone that comes to mind for you? Because there is that side of this character historically i mean the new mutants era is like his fondness for those kids is important to me right like i even al is doing a lot with this like um he's tough on roberto because like roberto has so much potential you know uh i love that i love the way he's like straighten up like there's <laughs> he, as soon as he sees them he's back to being the headmaster again um there's a, a joke panel someone drew where it's Magneto in like a headlock with like the new mutants, like, and they're like, they're fucking up the sub they're talking about. Larry's like, the kids are like filming it as they're messing with him. Like, I love that. Um, I have weird, like, I'm really interested in his relationship with Exodus. I don't understand it. I want to understand it more. Like, how did this end up happening? <laughs> it's something I've always wondered. 
It's I mean, untold. There's, that, there's the part of Magneto's that's absolutely like, I am the Messiah and I will be worshipped, right? right? Like that's a that's a parallel part of this character. And again, JM is capturing this really beautifully in his in his series right now. Uh, like he he fucking hates Fabian Cortez, but keeps him right at his side. His relationship with different characters is fascinating to me, but the soft side of him, the Dad Nito version, is uh, is really interesting to me. Uh, Ray and Eric, any thoughts there? The only the earliest time I remember Magneto being soft was in the Savage Land. That that like oh Rogue Rogue's that, another yeah. character. He's oh very soft, yeah, Lee, Lee Forrester as well. Absolutely, sure. he, you know, he kills Carol for her. Like he's like. He makes it so that she wins, and then like it becomes romantic. It's just a different side of him because before that he was just a villain to me. And yes, I know he by then he'd already been with the kids, but he was also with the Hellfire Club, and they saw him and they pulled away from him because he's really one of the bad guys and they didn't know how to feel. And he left. It was he's gone back and forth, but he does have. I could totally see him looking down, in spite of having those missiles, and seeing Bobby in tears and stopping because that's. Even that, you know what, even nature, because like a cat won't chase a mouse that's not running. You know, right. it's just like, it's not, it's like, okay, I got these missiles, but he's already, they, like, I I can see, I really understand what you did. There's no, I have no problem with it. <laughs> like, I get it. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I had so many moments as a teen where, I mean, I was going through a lot of trauma, but the world was so fucking heavy and I was fine. I was put together all the time, but I remember many a moment in private, in the basement or outside where I was by myself, where it just was too much. And I am sobbing and just needed someone to come along. Uh, and that story of like Magneto being the guy that shows up for Bobby here is so sweet because Bobby's not seen by anybody. He's got the jokes up and nobody notices and they're too busy being annoyed, which is exactly what he's looking for. Right. Uh, Anthony, will you read the dialogue on page four with me? Uh, you can be Bobby or Magneto. It's your choice. Oh, uh, oh, I'll be. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That's hard. Um... You be you be Magneto. I'll be Bobby. Okay. All right. Uh, so <laughs> Bobby says, "You literally just had missiles." Sometimes missiles are how grown-ups talk. What is your name? He cries. I'm Bobby. I'm different, and I. It's. I know. It's a secret. It's not safe. And I don't want, he's so beautiful and he's nice. And I don't, I, I don't. Charles, I have been different all my life, child. Not like, well, but it is a thorny and a lonely road to walk, especially for the young. We differ in methods and it will never be safe. It never is, but we will make a better future a future less lonely for the different. We will make a brave new world. I promise you that. And we move to the next page. They're looking out at the sunset as Magneto sits with Bobby <laughs> in front of the Ungarai Karen, which we'll talk about. <laughs> and Bobby says, uh, sorry about your missiles. Well, there will be other missiles. And I think I got snot all on, all on your cape. <laughs> I, I should go before Charles. Uh, he's um actually not even home. Oh. Well, then perhaps I can stay a little longer, if you like. Can I try on your hat? And he puts the hat <laughs> on and he goes, awesome. And that's the end. Aw, yay. Talk to me about this incredible scene. Your dialogue work is so pretty here. Uh, the camera shifting to the sunset at just that moment. Like, it's it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, writing, I like finding characters' voices and... Finding 
I can't think of two characters who sound more different from each other. Um, there's a kind of, it's, it's established actually in, in Claremont's run, like Magneto is like a compulsive reader and he reads like actually a lot of like sci-fi and stuff. So like I let myself access the kind of, um, uh, it, incredibly stilted kind of a pentameter sound to him as though he's always kind of reading something out of Paradise Lost. Like, I'm not afraid to let him sound very sonorous. Um, whereas Bobby's just like a mess. Like, he's <laughs> he's a mess at the best of times and he's completely broken in this moment. So I just wanted him to let himself be full um, stream of thought and sort of falling all over himself Uh and at, at this very like elemental level, it's a secret. It's not safe. He's beautiful. He's nice. He's just sort of log jamming sentences. The speech I knew would be analyzed to death is what Magneto then says there. And so there's, and I knew I had five pages, which is crazy. Um, That's not very many pages. Yeah. So I basically, that sigh and that oh Charles has so much in it. Like I had to let the audience hang all of that there themselves. Like they will fill that in. They understand what that sigh is. There's no need. There's like 40 years of their own personal character history in that sigh. Um, I similarly needed him to acknowledge what Bobby has said to him, but in a lot of ways, he doesn't have the vocabulary to talk about it. And I also wanted to pay a certain respect to the fact that this character is himself in various ways, very re legible as a queer character, right? Like he is not, he's not gay like Bobby is gay, but that's why I needed to have that well in there. <laughs> not like you, but mm, kind of like you. <laughs> and, like, and I wanted, and if you read that as simply him accessing, as you were saying, sort of an intersectional metaphor, you can, but if you want to hang the rest of it there, you can. A lot of people thought editorial made me do that. And it's like actually the opposite. I wanted, I wanted to open up the valence. Um, I didn't want him to give him a safe and like banal promise. It will never be safe. I think that is something we have to stress. I stress it all the time when I, I work very often with a queer bookstore here in the city, a Glad Day Bookshop, which has like events every night. And it's like, they have parties and they have like, uh, dances and it's like it's not safe that's a glass window like um, if somebody slams through here they're going to cause trouble we know the experience all of us you go into a gay bar and you're like what happens if someone decides to do something tonight um, he will he will he's too smart to promise the safe world that Charles Xavier is promising um, but they can make it different and he wants to acknowledge Bobby as part of that project that's how he makes people feel better it's like you and I will build that world. Not I'm going to make it for you. You and I will build it. Um, and in some ways, it's very Magneto to be like, we're not going to process your problems. <laughs> Instead, we're going to do something else. Like, what if what if your feelings turned into doing is very Magneto? Like, that's how he talks to people. Um, so his promise is like one of inclusion and one of recognition, but also one that is like a dream deferred, right? Like, we're going to do this together. Um, and I think Bobby responds to the honesty of that. I think that's why he he does feel a little better after that. And that's why he's like, well, sorry about your missiles. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm going to presume what I'm about to say was not intentional on your part, but I'm going to mm. take us back to the first episode in Magneto Month where uh, we sob all the way through Magneto Testament in our review. Again, we just put this out today. It's a very emotional read, but Max, Magneto as a child, in his relationship with his own father, Jakob, during the years building up to the concentration camps, uh, before which his father was gunned down in front of him, along with his mother and sister. His father would tell Max, uh, we are Jewish, but we're going to blend in and hope things get better. And the quote that's used over and over in Greg Pak's uh, beautiful series is the nail that stands up gets hammered down. Right. We have to stay hidden. We have to hope it will change. And the we always say Magneto was right. And there's this, uh, the reason I chose to close Magneto Month with this story is Magneto as the dad form being like, He's a little bit like, Bobby, the world's not going to understand you. And you got to do this in your own time. And there's a lot of subtext, but don't hate yourself because that doesn't work. We got to fight back. Uh, There's a lot of subtext in what he's saying that's not spoken, right? Because sometimes adults use missiles uh, when they're trying to... Right, right, yes. (laughs) Uh, But uh, that parallel with like young Magneto and his father, uh, it is, is very sweet to me when we consider this softer side of him. I picture him looking at that sunset and picturing his own dad uh in those moments uh i don't know if you guys have any thoughts there it's just great how villains can be this now it doesn't it's not black and white anymore it used to be like villains were almost ridiculous it was like i'm gonna take over the world because i i'm hungry like it's just (laughs) now it it's so much more, more complex now and people have it's a difference of opinion it's a different of what's I don't know, and we see it now more than ever. Like, what's going on today? Like, it's just, it's so, it does feel like you have to choose a side. And it's, I don't know, it's really well projected here. And the fact that he doesn't promise him the roses, it's it's honest, like you said. And it gets better, yeah, Bobby. Yeah, people do react to the honesty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but thank you. I mean, it's okay it's to not- know that you're you're talking. You're talking with an adult who says it's okay not to be okay. And so you accept it. Thank you. It's, yeah, it's, it is. I, I agree. Like I that's why he puts on the helmet, right? Like it it for most people reads as a joke, but there was a moment for me where it's like, Magneto is right. <laughs> like maybe you should put on the helmet. <laughs> it's like, it is actually what <laughs> what I wanted the end of this to be. I mean, I haven't gotten to write Bobby since, but I do think um were i to write bobby again as an adult i do think putting on the helmet is kind of a direction i'd be interested in taking him in it's like what happens when your friend who was your dearest friend has now become like literally henry kissinger like this is what the neoliberalism you grew up with has inherited like this is a reference to war crimes beast guys yes yeah like (laughs) what now what so where do you go from there? And I do think that this character has been kind of stuck in like a kind of white gay neoliberalist malaise for a while. And I do think like that would be a direction I'd be interested in pushing the, him in. The moment we haven't talked about, and we'll mention this briefly, is Magneto's choice at the moment to be vulnerable with Bobby. He pulls his helmet off, which right. again, retroactively <laughs> added, the helmet is the thing that protects him from Charles. So his choice to take that off on the grounds of the X-Mansion is a, a really key, beautiful moment here as well. Hey, Eric, how you doing over there? Good, good. I mean, I think it also shows that he's still a kid too. You know, of course, like wearing something of that powerful to just wear it yourself <laughs> and be like, 
you know, your kid and being like, wow, this I is. Wear, <laughs> I can wear mom's heels. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was. The scripted specified is told much it five pages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did say in the script, the I'm helmet is much too big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I got three questions. Number one, we got to mention the Engarai Cairn here. Uh, sure. And here's a weird symmetry. You guys have all done Patreon episodes with me, which I love, and I hope to have you back. But Ariana Mar did an Engarai uh, Patreon with me that's out on the public <laughs> channel. So uh, the letter on this issue, Ariana, and I got to delve deep on these weird little demon guys. I also have a print of the Engarai on my wall from the incredible Andrew Drillid. Uh, so look that up if you would like to. Uh, tell me about your decision, Anthony, to include the Engarai Cairn here. Oh, I mean, I've always been obsessed with it. I love the idea that this like perfectly normal boarding school has a, a portal to hell at the back. <laughs> um, I was uh, my scripts are exhausting like they're very over referency um, whether it's to art like there is the moment where Bobby is referencing the Cabanal fallen angel image um, and I sent I packaged this uh, when I sent the script in with scans of a book that I believe is out of print, which is a book they made in the 90s that is the the full map of the Xavier Institute. Um, so this panel you're seeing of Magneto approaching the school is like <laughs> as factually accurate a map of the Xavier School that as far as I know has ever been produced. Um, so that's where the Cairn is. That's where the tennis court is. That's where the pool is. Um, it was the thing they gave to the writers in the 90s. And like, I wanted to reference it again. And I I knew I needed somewhere for him to run to that would just feel kind of picturesque, like a, a ruin. Like so many, so many mansions have follies. Like this is a thing that a lot of mansions have. It's not that crazy. It's just funny that this happens to be an active hell mouth. Um, so <laughs> I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be a little in-joke that was also like this kind of picturesque place I could imagine if I were a kid, I would want to watch a sunset from there. If I were crying, that's where I'd run, you know? Yeah, the Unger and I are real weird. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I won't go into it here. I did a whole episode. We're, we're, we could move on from there. Uh, second question. Uh, Eric, do you want to start with this? What's your favorite Magneto story? I I remember reading um, was it Ma that Magneto Testament series. I, th I think that was... That was pretty groundbreaking. Um, I love it, and I will never read it again. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really hard to read through, but it was it was beautifully done. Uh, Ray, do you have a favorite Magneto story? A story? It would have to be Age of Apocalypse Magneto. Oh wow! Like it was just a different aspect of, of him. Like he's there is no Charles. He actually has a child that you can see him with because it's like yes, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were his kids sort of but they were grown now he's got this like baby he's got to look after and then there's the, such, such a, uh, a scarier world you know he's and, a little charlie do we ever find out charlie's powers i don't think I don't so but i'll look it up as we're talking no because i mean he was a baby there was no he didn't make it to right, puberty. Yeah. they just ended it uh and anthony do you have a favorite magneto story oh that i mean was... that's impossible but the one that like was so shaping to me as a kid was X-Men 25, Fatal Attractions. Like, and reading it now, it's like, what is even the story? <laughs> but like, <laughs> the moment in that where Charles Xavier has come up to Avalon 
and he's in the like exosuit and he reaches into Magneto's mind and he turns it off. And the panel, it's a Kubert panel. Kubert loves a close-up on an eyeball. Um, there's a close-up of Jean's eyeball in that moment where she's he's where Iceman's trying to come out to her. And there's a close-up on um, Magneto's eyeball as Charles wipes his mind, and it's completely clear, just serene. Like, it's just like, there's no pupil. And he says exactly the way he says it in this issue, oh, Charles, um, how far you've fallen. Um, and that, to me, is, like, amazing. Like, this moment where Xavier is so ethically bankrupt that he will do this thing to somebody. Yeah, at the end of the day, he has no real conscience about it. Um, it's why I'm weirdly defensive of onslaught as a concept <laughs> this story everyone hates but like is the manifestation of that failure of charles xavier i'm really fascinated by that um, uh quick sidestep uh charles lensher uh at the end of the age of apocalypse is living with rogue in uh the mansion still but apparently when rick remender revisited the age of apocalypse and uncanny x-force there is a line of dialogue that states that charles was crushed by a demon auk i don't even know what that story is it's been a uh, while uh sure sounds like a rick remenders <laughs> <laughs> he also apparently uh, demonstrated some psychic abilities as a child, including, <laughs> according to the entry, ESP, mind reading, psychokinesis, <laughs> mind communication, and clairvoyance. Uh, so, that will, you know, maybe I'll do a Patreon on Charles Letcher one day. <laughs> uh, my final question, let's talk about uh, when we come out and we enter the very complicated gay culture, which is always, of course, shifting every few years. What are your thoughts about Iceman as an out gay man and his portrayal over the last 10 plus years uh, as he's had various relationships with uh, Simon Lasker Pyro and Christian Frost <laughs> and Romeo. Uh, he's a little bit poly. He's a little like queer hero in ways. Uh, what are your thoughts on his entrance into the queer community? And if you have anything to say about the queer community at all, that's fine. It's a complicated world. <laughs> uh, Anthony, do you want to take that one first? Oh, um, I like that he doesn't come... Again, I've worked on Wiccan and Hulkling, and I love working on a story that is about, like, love conquers all, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a great... It is a great set of toys to play with but i like that the Iceman action figure does not come packaged with a particular other action figure like i like that this character doesn't have a great love you know and i like that he is i i i think rather than finding that a weakness of his stories i think that's a great hat to hang a story on like what is it like to get to his age and be like i haven't had it you know i haven't experienced that thing um so I like that. I think it's actually quite generative. And I I I would push against any kind of like desire to sort of pair him off. Um, I do feel like the thing we've never seen that I would love to see is like he and North Star sit at a coffee shop and talk it out. <laughs> Those two have so much beef to figure out together. Um, and I, I, I think it's fun watching writers take cracks at him. I think it's a lot... I think he's I think it's interesting that he's such a tough nut to crack. Um, and I'm willing to sort of see what happens. I'd love to take a crack at him. I think that he's a fascinating character. I understand what it's like to be a lot of the things that he is. Um, yeah, that's my take. I don't know. What do you we guys get to think? Be, we get to be complicated. Uh, Eric, do you have any thoughts on this? I would say 
Um, I think, like Anthony said, <laughs> that the fact that Bobby came out in adulthood, he didn't experience dating or any of these things that kids do when they're in middle school or high school. So he's kind of experiencing all this, you know, as, as an adult. And I, I agree. I, I think I can relate to that, I guess, like having come out later in life or whatever. Um, it's, I think it's true to how many of us kind of deal with coming out um, at a later time rather than, you know, as a teenager or. Well, when you come you from know. a different culture, it's, it's a thing. Yeah. It really depends on where you grew up, of course. Yeah. Sure, but sure. in terms of Bobby and his relationships, like, I'm glad that we have like gay Captain Kirk. Like, he's the one who's going to go to all the planets and get <laughs> all the alien boys. <laughs> like, it's. At least that's open because everybody else, you got North Star, who's married off. You got Wiccan and Hulkling, who are bound, star-crossed, romantic lovers. And it's just like it's everybody's kind of done. But Bobby's still got a lot to go. And I think it's kind of interesting that right now he's only being held together by the love of Romeo. <laughs> like that's a that's an intense relationship he's got going on right now. That's like he <laughs> that depends on his life depends on him being close to this other man. Every very serious Iceman story is always about, like, you're losing control of yourself unless you get in touch with your vulnerable side, which is adorable to me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I also like... so proud. (laughs) I love that he has this, like, toxic Irish Catholic background, too. It's like his, like, (laughs) loud, awful dad has been ruining his life for... <laughs> who um, is now dead he uh yeah. robert drake is dead i'm doing an opal tanaka uh patreon episode with justin park soon and i just reread that issue where like his dad calls her an oriental at dinner and so you're like oh nope <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, well the thing is like now that he's gone his mom is like i love you bobby like mm-hmm. now he's getting all this all this affection from his mother that maybe she was afraid to who knows what they never really explored that home situation was he abusive to her too like who knows uh, yeah, you know, real... see my episode, see my episode on the Drakes with Rob Salerno. I, I've I've covered all these characters on the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, what a lovely conversation and what a beautiful way to wrap up Magneto Month on Gray Malkin Lane. Uh, uh, Anthony, I love this story. I hope that's standing out very apparent uh, as we're talking oh. through this. And it's such a nice place to end with kind of the softer side of Magneto. My final question is what did Magneto do immediately after comforting Bobby? Because my guess is he went home and beat Toad up. (laughs) (laughs) Chad. (laughs) I feel like he was like, I, well, I, I need, I need to replenish my missiles. And he went to get more missiles. (laughs) (laughs) He He went home and masturbated to an image of Namor the Submariner. I think he like no. Cape, the two guards oh, at Cape Chad. Citadel were like, oh shit, here he comes again. Like, I think that's how it went down. Uh, Ray and Eric, any guesses? He's like, he just like left this place where he was gonna go. He was ready to fight. Like, he's all he's got this energy that he still has to expel somehow. So, I, I, he definitely did hurt Toad. I think that that's, that's uh-huh. definitely a, like, why can't you be cute like that other kid? Why can't <laughs> Maybe he tries to hook them up. Maybe he's like, Toad, what do, what do you... Th-? Like, I like the idea of him, like... I like the idea of him trying to find a nice boy for Bobby. Like, <laughs> like pure dad. <laughs> Play matchmaker. Like, 
Yeah, like uh, Quicksilver. Quick you, sure? you sure? You sure? Like, yeah. Uh, Ice like Magneto the Jewish. Oh my God, <laughs> Jewish. What do you call those things? The matchmaker. Magneto the Jewish matchmaker. Yeah. That's a show. Yeah, he's a zany. <laughs> he would immediately. Yeah. You're too good for this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as we move on on Gray Malkin Lane into November, we are going to be doing more Magneto stuff, weirdly, but he's not the primary focus. But uh, the next five episodes are Magneto's end of his like crazy 1960s era where he fights the Fantastic Four and then the Inhumans. Uh, Anthony, you'll fondly remember the booger people we once got to talk about. We get to cover sure. those issues of my show, <laughs> on my show upcoming. Uh, I'm going to take time really quickly to announce the next three episodes. I'm always so thrilled at the level of talent and the, the people who are willing to come on and nerd out over old comics with me. Uh, it's truly such a huge honor. So the next three episodes are the old Fantastic Four uh, Submariner War with Magneto involved. Uh, FF102, the guests are going to be uh, Moriwa Ayadele and uh, Dotun Akande. Uh, as well as Thorin Gronbeck. Uh, FF number 103 is going to feature Jeremy Whitley and Alex Segura. FF 104 features uh, Jay Holtham, Sean Damian Hill, and Stephanie Williams. I'm so thrilled for all three of those episodes, which I get to record in the next couple of weeks, uh, and it's going to be a ton of fun. The next Patreon episode coming out right after this is going to be all about the series, the obscure series Muties, uh, with uh, the writer of Muties, Carl Ballers, which features some gay content in uh, as we get to explore these old obscure characters. Uh, as we are wrapping up, my friends, where can people find each of you online? And is there anything you would like to plug, recognizing we're going to put this out on October 30th? Uh, Rage Gear, would you like to go first? Rage Gear Studios on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, X, Blue Sky, you know, <laughs> all, all, the, yeah. all of them. It's just Rage Gear Studios, one word. And we just take projects like as they inspire, as they come up. And it's a lot of X-Men related things, but you know, we always, our thing is mixing it all up. So there's all kinds of mashups and there. you see all kinds of 80s callbacks, 90s callbacks, and all just how the X-Men can just be everywhere all the time, especially Rogue. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, that's what we'll be doing, but that's where you can find us. And it's Ray and Eric. Uh, I don't offer praise unless I mean it, although I know I offer compliments regularly. But Ray and Eric are not only extraordinarily talented, they are two of the nicest, most wonderful people you will ever meet. <laughs> oh, if you see them so at a con, sit down and talk. They are no, really, truly. You guys are lovely. I'm so happy to see you today. Thanks, Thanks. for uh, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, and then uh, Anthony. Oh, uh, October 30th. What does that mean? Uh you can pick up Captain Marvel Assault on Eden if it's still in your local shops. Um, uh, you will have just missed my screening of Dracula, uh, which is a shame because I have just got the red kimono in the mail. Um, you could, if you're in Toronto, get tickets to see Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which we're doing a 30th anniversary of screening of to celebrate uh, queer icon Kevin Conroy, who passed this year. Um and you can order Dayspring, which is my book coming out Easter 2024 and is indeed all about queer love. Um, so check that out. Uh, be prepared to be invited back on my show to talk about Dayspring <laughs> comes out because I am very sure. excited about it. Uh, I will plan a trip to Toronto sometime and I'm totally going to time it around one of your movie nights because I really... Oh, they are so stupid, Chad. They are so stupid. They gave me I... a budget for Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best kind. 
Yeah. I, oh, host, yeah. I host queer uh, like uh, cringe movie nights at my house. I think I've told you at a lot of the shows we've watched you then show at your premieres. Oh, <laughs> really? Funny. We should cr- trade lists because I'm we're, planning 2024. We're watching uh, the 90s movie Idle Hands this Friday. Oh, yeah, we're doing. Well, I'm not programming it, but we're doing it at the review this month. So good. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, lastly, I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but feel free to follow me. Graham Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter. Graham Malkin underscore land on Instagram. Uh, Anthony, I saved this uh, news right for the last. The episode coming out right before this is the monthly trial, which we are doing for Halloween, which features the insane combination of uh, Puppet Master and Brainchild. So make you sure to tune in. are so weird. Chad <laughs> <laughs> showed me... Oh. <laughs> my favorite moment we recorded this what, what did chat show you what did chat show you <laughs> well are you talking about it chat is this what you were about to say i was not but you can go i have a print oh. on my wall uh as drawn by the incredible michael dialinus of puppet master that's what you're referring to correct yes i oh, hate it so much you showed that to me and i was just like why why would you hang this in your home i mean <laughs> it's very well executed don't get me wrong but like <laughs> for whom <laughs> My favorite moment in the recording uh, yesterday, uh, Susan Kirtley came on the show. She's this brilliant academic uh, college professor who comes on my trials once in a while. And she goes, I was sitting reading Brainchild appearances and analyzing the combination of his like disco necklaces with his brown diaper and thinking, what were the writers trying to accomplish? And she said, then I looked up and thought, Chad, what have you done to me? Why am I thinking about this character's (laughs) passion? Chad, I did, right, I, did, I did send you something, Chad. You should check your phone. Oh, I will. It's it's plugged in, but I'll check it shortly. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Uh, what a delight to hang out with you all tonight. Uh, we will see you back here next time on Grand Malkin Lane. Thank you for listening to Grand Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Grand Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, It's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.